Today uh, is going to be a very unique message. Y'all stay with me. Uh, the preacher says it quite often. There's always a method to the madness. And uh, as a result of that, uh, there will be even, you know, more so here today than perhaps a normal. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter number 21. And you can remain seated for just a few minutes here today. And, uh, and then we're going to stand up here to read two verses of Scripture in the book of Hebrews. We honor the Word of God when we do so. We're going to remain seated because we're going to read 14 verses. It's a very unique passage that I'll elaborate on. You know, I'm coming behind a text last week that was a very strong text uh, from Mother's Day, a very unique text that even showed the brutality of that culture, and it's being uh, kind of uh, exhibited in this passage as well. But at the same time, the Word of God uh, captures a picture image for us. There's spiritual principles applied. Let's let the Lord speak to us today. It says in verse number one, there was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year. David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, it is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and David. So catch those words very closely. The children of Israel had sworn unto them. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you, and wherewith shall I make the atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And certainly that culture practiced something that is known as blood atonement. It's a very brutal um, you know, a recussion, I suppose, to the, uh, the, you know, the, the atrocious act that we see here that of, of Saul and him slaying the Gibeonites. And so the Gibeonites said unto him, We shall have no silver nor gold of Saul nor of his house, neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, Well, what ye shall say that will I do for you? And they answered the king, the man that consumed us and that devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coast of Israel. Seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. But notice the seventh verse. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, whom she bare unto Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth and the five, and if you are judging the way that I pronounce these names here today, there is a way that we can kind of correct that. I can ask you to read here if you would. The five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzilia, the Mehilahiah Shahida type. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and, he, and they hanged them in the hill before the ark, or before the Lord. And they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest. It's brutal blood atonement. And they were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. And Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven. Suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them day by day or by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. And it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Ah, the son, the concubine of Saul, had done. And, when, and David went, and he took the bones of Saul, and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, 
which had stolen them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them when the Philistines had slain Saul in Gilboa. Many years ago, I preached a message from this very passage, Bury Saul Once and For All. I've only preached that message one time in my life. One day I'll bring it forth again. He brought the, up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son, and they gathered the bones of them that were hanged. The bones of Saul and Jonathan his son buried they in the country of Benjamin and Zelah in the sepulcher of Kish's father, and they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God was entreated for the land. It's a very unique passage of Scripture. But look at verse 1 and verse 14 before we turn over and stand to conclude the reading of Scripture. There was a famine in the years of David three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord. And then it says, and after that, God was entreated for the land. Now, if you would turn with me to one of the most famous or infamous passages of Scripture in the New Testament, it's in Hebrews Chapter number 10, if you would, would you stand and honor the reading of Scripture today? And then let the preacher speak to you. My heart's prepared to minister the Word to you today. Two verses of Scripture, it's familiar, it's been used in manipulation and coercion by pastors, but it's also been used in, in instruction to get a certain response from the people. That's our, you know, our responsibilities as pastors is to hopefully point you and lead you in the direction that God would have you go it says, and let us consider, 24th verse, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. 25th verse says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, there's a great coalition between the passage of Scripture read in 2 Samuel 21 and in Hebrews chapter 10 that's not observable. Uh, just on the surface level. You have to study and, and consider it with a spiritual mindset, and I'll hopefully be able to lead you into that. I do have a title for the message today. It's kind of like you find yourself at times when your own physical body is speaking to you and you ask questions. You find yourself saying, what's wrong? So I've got to hear, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with our church? I think it's a fair question today. We'll just be honest. So we're going to ask the Lord to help us in this passage. Does that make sense? So let's pray. Let's trust the Lord's directed our thoughts. Father, thank you for the service today. Thank you for all that we've been able to participate in. Now, God, I think through the title and even through the difficulty of, this, of, this, of the text that we read, I think I have the people's attention. That was certainly my desire. And I pray, Lord, today the Holy Spirit to speak to us, speak to us with clarity in a way that, Father, uh, moves us in a powerful way to get a response or to get a better response, Father, than what we have received. It's in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen and amen. Let me take a moment of time to say I want to be very, very careful because today there's a little strong connotation to this message, and I want you to work with me and hear it. And I know there's a mixed bag of men and women that are gathered here from all different walks of life. And we all have to have, even though, you know, oftentimes it's easy for us to say, man, that's a good word the preacher preached. I know six people in church really needed to hear that. <laughs> Got to be very careful that even if it may not be as directly applicable to you, that you still shut it off and don't hear what God's saying to you individually and to us collectively as a church family. And I also, one of the things that our church family has the privilege thing that we have is our podcast. And I'm going to take this uh, message in a way, it's going to, they're going to make sure it's loaded on the podcast, because I think it could be a tool 
that God can use after this thing is unfolded to bring our church family to a, a new season to receive what God wants us to receive. You know, this passage is very unique. And late in David's reign, if you understand the historical context of this passage, it seems to be late in his reign. And it's been, you know, uh, year after year, you know, there was a thought process in the Jewish agricultural community that uh, if, there, if, if the harvest wasn't as great the first one year, then it would kind of make up for it the next year. So your harvest might be a little bit diminished one year, but it's okay. God will make up with it on the second year with an abundant harvest that would kind of catch everybody up. But about the third year, David began to realize something's not right because they were a people that had a certain expectation. It says here there was a famine uh, in the land. And that, that word famine actually means just a scarcity of grain, produce, fruit, for, for Israel, it's primarily barley, wheat, olives, and grapes. Those were the four staples. Barley and wheat, the grain harvest, the olives to produce the oil, the grapes to produce wine. That's why you see that used through other passages in Scripture. The psalmist talked about bread for the heart and, uh, and, and for, to strengthen you, and then also wine for, for joy, and then oil for, for gladness. So we see that in the Word of God. And so when, the, when this produce is limited year by year, this lack of bountiful harvest, the, uh, the result of that was often a lack of a responsive joy and celebration. And what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, Shane was already talking about coming to the house of God. See, Israel had feasts that they were to celebrate every year. And at least three of these feasts were timed around celebrations of harvest. The first fruits was a time of celebration, the first fruit harvest of barley. And then Pentecost was a celebration that the wheat harvest had been gathered in. And at the fall of the year, the tabernacles, the people would come. They were required to come from all over Israel to Jerusalem, and they would celebrate that God had blessed His people. Tabernacles was the final feast of the year, and it was the celebration that all the harvest was now in the barn. And so there was always a time of joy and rejoicing. So that meant the first year, they went to church, but they were just a little bit, you know, Man, the harvest is not looking good. You know, things aren't quite right. And so they would go through the motions, but their heart was not exploding in celebration. So it was, they were participating in worship, but oftentimes it was with a conflicted heart. And obviously, you know, there were questions and fears and suspicions that would mount. And the question that everybody pondered deep within themselves, maybe occasionally somebody had the courage to ask was, Why do you do that in your life? When things aren't quite going the way that you thought that they should or you, an expectation is not fully being met, I do. I'm going to be honest. I do. David inquires of the Lord. David asks. He's the leader. He's the king. And he says, God, why? You know, why, why is this? Is, you know, is there not a cause? Remember those words? Those are the words that David said when he was about to fight uh, Goliath long before he became the king. He said, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason that all this has taken place? I think the th same thing must have been in his mind. And you say, Pastor, why is that? Because Israel was a people that were promised prophetically that God would send rain and cause them to have abundant harvest. How many of you have ever read in the Old Testament, God said, I'll bless you in the field. 
I'll bless you in the storehouse. I wrote down two. We won't read them, but in Leviticus 26 uh, and uh, in verses 3 and 4 and 18 through 20, God said, listen, if you're heeding my word and you're doing what I've asked you to do because you're my people, I chose you out of Egypt's womb and I brought you into a land that you didn't possess. I gave you houses you didn't build. I gave you vineyards you didn't plant and wells you didn't dig. And God put an expectation upon the people to follow the word of God. And so there was an expectation that if they did, there was a bountiful, fruitful harvest favoring them and allowing them to observe their faithfulness to God. And so I'm sure that with David, remember David, there are two things at least that David is infamous for. One is his victory over Goliath. And number two is his failure with Bathsheba. And anybody that's ever read the life of David has understood that when David failed morally with Bathsheba, that he reaped a very bitter harvest, right? There was a lot of trauma in his family as a result. So I'm imagining when David is going to the house of the Lord, as Shane mentioned, to pray, I'm sure he's asking God, why? Is it me? Is it me? Is there something in my life? Something in my heart, something in my lifestyle, something in my family, something in my leadership. Is it something that I'm not doing? What is it, Lord? You know, and the reality is, is that preachers ask that question. We do. I'm going to be honest. We do. I ask that question at times as a note concerning preachers asking that question. When I ask that question, what am I doing or what am I not doing? I think it's a fair question. It's fair to search inwardly. But I will say this. One pastor observed this. He said that if the pastor takes the blame for the church being in a season of decline, then he will also take the glory when the church is in a season of bountiful harvest. So you got to be very careful. But at the same time, I'm going to say this. A leader always asks, what do I need to correct? And so... If in, in doing so with David, I'm sure David was like, in, in, in his inquiry, if God didn't say it's you, the next thing is that it's them. <laughs> I'm sure David was like, well, if it ain't me, got to be them. You know, maybe he had in his mind, like, remember what happened in the days of Joshua? In the days of Joshua, when they were taking the city of, of, uh, of Ai, it was just a little city. They'd already won the victory at Jericho. And they just sent a few soldiers over there to take the city. And they came back defeated. And Joshua fell down and said, why? And the Lord said, get up. It's because somebody ain't doing right. Somebody's not doing right. And so I'm sure he was asking, like Achan, is there a secret sins in the tent? So I'm sure David, is their house in order? Are the husbands leading? Are the wives usurping? Are the children rebelling? Where's the breach? If it's not me and if it's not you, then is it us collectively? What are we not doing? Let every man search himself. Obviously, perhaps something is out of order. Do y'all think that's fair questions that David would have asked? I have to, I read that into the text just a little bit. I read that into the text because when David went and said, Lord, we're expecting bountiful harvest and, you know, we might be scraping the bottom of our, you know, our meal barrel and searching for food this winter. Something's not quite right. What, where is it? He's asking God. I think it's fair evaluation. But the, the response from the Lord resulted in a very strange revelation, didn't it? I'm sure in David's mind, he's thinking, who is it? If it's not me, if it's not my house, my children, if it's not, then it's got to be somebody I can put my finger on. And the Lord said, it's because of Saul, the previous monarchy. Saul, he said, because, because he slew the Gibeonites. Let me take a moment to develop this. So y'all with me out there in Radio Land today? I feel this kind of, I know I'm in the right vein. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. 
Saul's, Saul's failure began. Does anybody remember that? His failure. He, he had great prominent, he, or, or promise, didn't he? Saul did. He was tall, handsome, gifted, skilled. But you know what? There was a moment in his kingship when the Bible says he feared the people. He didn't follow through in a pronouncing judgment on a certain people group that God had judged. God had sent judgment. And you can argue that and you could say it's too brutal. How could God do that? Listen, he's God. And you're not. Accept it. Get over it. Fact done, period, exclamation mark. He's God. You're not. He's not changing his position for you or for your theology. So just get over it. And so he had given this instruction, and Saul did not follow it. And so as a result, the Bible says the kingdom was rent from Saul's hand. And as a result, an evil spirit, from, uh, an evil spirit troubled Saul the rest of his life. And it's not recorded in Scripture, but sometime during that time period when Saul became very bloodthirsty. And in doing so, the Bible says that he slew a lineage of people that were dwelling with Israel. They weren't Israelites. They weren't of one of the 12 tribes. But they had been dwelling in the land since the possession of the, of the promised land in the days of Joshua. Who were these people? They were the Gibeonites. Who were the Gibeonites? What's this story? What's it about? Does anybody remember that when the children of Israel began to take promise, the promised land, that the, the, the noise of their activity began to just resound throughout all the other uh, nations that dwelt? At least seven nations dwelt in what was known as Canaan's land. And they began to hear about how that God dried up not only the Red Sea, but he dried up the Jordan River. Then they began to hear how the walls of Jericho fell flat. And all of a sudden, the hearts of all these communities are beginning to fall in fear. The Gibeonites were of people that lived close because they were Amorites. But the scripture says that they sent out a coalition to go and meet with Joshua and, uh, and his embassy. And the scripture says that they dressed up in old clothes and they got moldy bread and they took their, their mules and they, they put old saddles on them so that by the, when they went, it looked like they'd come from a far country. Now, why is this important? Because Israel had been instructed through the law to make no league with the people of the land. But the Amorites believed that they would fall subject to the same brutality that the other cities and nations are falling. So they, in essence, deceived Israel and said, We be from a far country. Would you allow us to sojourn with you? And listen to this. The scripture says the Israelites gave them their word. That's where the passage said they swore an, an, an alliance with the Gibeonites only to discover later that they had been deceived. But let me tell you something about God, church family. God's a God of covenant. He's a covenant-keeping God. And God said, even though they deceived you into forming a covenant with them, you honor that covenant. And so, if you really want to know what the heart of the matter was, is that when, when Saul slew the Gibeonites, you know what he was doing? He was breaching covenant. What is covenant? The word covenant means to cut and it's an exchange of promise and relationship. And so I can see this by slaying the people that were in covenant with God. The resounding effect was that the nation was, uh, was, was suffering a famine in the land for three years. And so in trying to make this a little bit personal, I've been contemplating this. And I even ask the question, I say, sometimes what's wrong with First Assembly of God? You say, no, well, Pastor Brown, look around. It's a pretty good church. It is a good church. It's a great church. But we have never fully reached our potential. We have never moved to a level that we could. Because when I look around at our church, I say, my God, we have all the ingredients for a bountiful harvest. 
We have every component when you think about it. I mean, we have a tremendous worship team led by a bearded psalmist. Come on, somebody. We've got a handsome children's pastor, right, and his lovely wife. And we've got nursery, and we've got effective preaching. We've got the longest-seated youth pastor in the community with still a passion for the youth in our community, the, the, the deepest passion for the youth. We've got discipleship and discipleship pastor, life groups, prayer chain, security team, greeters ministry, youth ministry, women's ministries, food pantry, benevolence, missions, prayers. And with all of that, we have a handsome pastor that preaches with all of his heart and passion every Sunday morning. Then Why? Why are we not reaching our maximum potential? We've got some deficiencies, yes. You know, when, when I look around at times and I say, but why? We ought to be exploding out of this house. There ought not be a seat empty in here because we got all these things going. But why? Why is it? So the first thing that a pastor does is, I'd like David, it's got to be me. I try not to be like Adam or the wife whom thou gavest me. Oh, that was there. And then not everybody's catching that. So, no, I do. I start. I'm going to be honest with you. I guess I try to use humor to divert. I do. I ask that question. It's got to be me. It must be something I'm doing. It's got to be I bought a farm. It's because Sherry and I love to get on our mule and go down and watch our cows eat grass in the evening time. I have a bull named Charlie. Charlie Brown. <laughs> That's the highlight sometimes of our day. We enjoy going down there and watching Charlie and the cows. And so it's got to be me. And then I say, well, it's got to be you. If I don't hear from God saying, yeah, you're right, sell the farm, move back in town. So then I say, well, it's got to be you. And then I say, no, maybe it's us. Maybe it's just we. See, here's the frustration point. Joe and I was talking about that this week, and that's why I told Joe I was going to kind of lean and glean from this right here it's frustrating at times when 20 to 30 percent of your faithful members and adherents are out every Sunday I'm just telling you it is that's just frustrating at times because you're like if the faithful folks can still be unfaithful then what are we asking about the others and so and then here's a bigger question why does 50 percent let me tell you if every person in Heber Springs that claims to be an adherent of First Assembly came next Sunday, there would not be a single seat available. They'd be standing in the foyer waiting to come in. If every person that claims to be an adherent of First Assembly decided to show up. Now, I'm just telling you, I think that I get grieved over that. Can I be honest today? Is this my day to be honest here to be honest, it does. Sometimes I struggle a little bit because I think, look at the things that we consider more important than church. Picnics, birthday parties, camping, golf matches, golf frisbee, laundry, mowing grass, family members come over. On and on and on. And you can make a list this long. And I say, all these are valid. They're non-sinful things, on and on. But often, here's what I know about church. Church is sometimes about momentum. And when you lose it, it's hard to get it back. But when you got it, it's hard to be stopped. Let me say that one more time. When you lose momentum, it becomes depressing. It becomes, you just, you just struggle emotionally because you know the potential that lies that within your fellowship. But when you got it, I'm telling you, there's no mountain you can't climb. There's no river you can't cross. Come on, somebody. When you got momentum, you say, who, no matter who's against us because God is for us. When you get that momentum in your heart. 
And so the reality is, is that some of us and sometimes all of us are either preoccupied or we're disengaged or we're negligent of assembling together. And I thought about that and I said, is it because we are so busy, so overwhelmed that we just don't have time or is it that we don't understand or value the true nature of covenant? Now there's where it's going to be made personal right there. The true nature of covenant. Can I talk to you about that for just a little bit here today? The reality is Saul obviously did not. He didn't understand the value of covenant. But did you know the name of God, Jehovah, means the covenant keeping God? God's a keeper of covenant. And so when we enter into a covenant with God and through His Son, Jesus Christ, God puts an expectation upon us. David, Saul did not uh, understand the value of covenant, but David did. Because you remember the covenant that he had made with his son, Jonathan? Remember Saul's covenant, John, the, the, the Saul's son, Jonathan? Remember that covenant that, God, that David had made? And, and that when, remember that, I just, I remember this moment, I can't tell you, it stirred my heart so many times when the Bible tells us that when David was a fugitive because he was fleeing from Saul, because of Saul's jealousy and that evil spirit tormenting him. And he was hiding in the woods. And the Bible says he didn't know day by day if his life would be his last day that he lived. Because every uh, rock around every corner could be one of Saul's henchmen that would kill him to secure the kingdom for Saul. And he's living in strongholds. And for whatever reason, Saul can't find him. But you know who could find him? Jonathan, his son, the man that he was in covenant with. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 23, I love this. The Bible says that, that Jonathan went to David in the stronghold, in the wilderness. To listen to this. To encourage him in the Lord. Man, what a powerful principle it is if we learn that we are in covenant with men and women in the faith. And the reason why, one of the reasons why that we come to this house every Sunday, it's not to get but it's to give. It's to give because we're in covenant with the people of God. Now, I understand this context, and I understand the brutality of restitution for the bloody regime. But in doing so, did you notice that when David chose seven descendants of Saul to be blood payment for Saul killing the Gibeonites, there was one descendant that he spared? Who did he spare? Mephibosheth. For why? What reason? Because he was in covenant with Jonathan. So let's see if we can make this. I won't preach too much longer. Does the American church, let me ask you a few questions here today before I close. I know some of the families that invited people over for, for the, uh, the baby dedication are going, whoo, you should have came on Mother's Day, I'm sorry. But you know what? I'm somebody, I don't play games. If I'm going to play games, I'm going to play basketball. Right? But if I come to the house of the Lord, I'm in a serious mode. I'm here. My God is great, and he is greatly to be praised. I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please him. Right? But at the same time, I want to build and edify your life and build you up. And sometimes the word of the Lord is a sharp two-edged sword, and it pierces. I hate to say it. If you want sugar-coated doctrine, you're in the wrong church. Just to be honest with you here today, does the American church, does Hebrew First Assembly recognize that attendance or assembling and laboring and serving together is just not a seat you feel, but a covenant you keep? 
Do you understand that today? Can I take you deeper into that for just a moment? Have you ever considered the context of this most famous exhortation, the most famous exhortation that every preacher, including me, that has probably used this to attempt to manipulate a terrible word in church to, about attending church is Hebrews 10 and 25. Forsake not the assembly. I guarantee you, every preacher, we may not be able to quote a lot of verses, but we got that one down. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but all the more, all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more. So we know that, but in order to understand that, you've got to go back to the preceding verse, the 24th verse. Back, It's up there already. Let's put it on the 24th verse. The 24th verse says we've got to consider one another. We've got to value one another. We've got to love one another. And when we come together, we're going to encourage one another to grow in love and in serving God with good works. And so, as a reason, that's your responsibility because you're in covenant. The reason why that Jonathan could not dwell in the palace while his friend David was running as a fugitive in the wilderness with his life hanging in the balance is because he was in covenant with that man. And he said, your enemy will be my enemy and your weapons will be my weapons and my weapons will be your weapons. And he went to him and he found him to, in to encourage him in the Lord because of the power of covenant. And so when I began to look at this, I began to see, did you know that the context of this famous passage of Scripture in Hebrews 10 and 24 and 25 is in the power of covenant? What do you mean by that, the context? The book of Hebrews in the 8th chapter begins to transition into a revelation that we are now in a new covenant. The old is faded and the new is present. And in the middle of that, let me tell you, church family, we're not just in covenant with God. We're in covenant with each other. And I think that is something the American church still struggles with. The American church struggles with it because we don't want to be held responsible to consider somebody else other than ourselves. You know now, we are the me-centric generation. It's all about us. Here's the reality. The majority of the time, Mining your motive for participation in attendance at a worship service is misplaced. We come to receive rather than to give. And that's why it's easy to be neglect, neglectful because you can do so in a spiritual mindset. You'll be like, I got mine. I'm okay. I don't need to go. And so the reality is it's not really why you should go is to always get. You go because you want to give. Maybe your cup is full. I hope and pray that your cup is full because I can promise you somebody else's cup is empty and they need what you got. They need your warmth, your love, your encouragement, your handshake, your hug, your smile, your affirmation, your prayer, your, hey, brother, I'll walk with you through this valley. It's a difficult time, but you got a friend in me, glory to God. They need what you got. My touch, my love, my encouragement. Here's the reality. If somebody in this church doesn't need you, you can develop this mindset. Your pastor does. Your preacher does. Because you know what he's done for today? He's read. He's studied. He's prayed. He's walked in his barn. He's walked in this altar. He's searched. His Sunday closed last Sunday with preaching about 
uh, about the nail and jail and the temple and the deliverance. And before I can get home, my mind is already starting to ask, what am I going to preach next Sunday? Where are my thoughts going to be? God, what's the word for the people? Do I listen to somebody else's voice? Do I read a book? Do, what passage of Scripture? Where is it? And I keep my heart pliable, listening, with a listening ear. Why is that important? I'm going to tell you, we live in a generation today, you don't have to study. You don't have to pray to get a message. We've got churches today where one person writes a sermon and passes it out to all the churches, and all you got to do is copy and paste it and get up and be some type of, uh, of have etiquette and, and ability in the pulpit, and you can preach a message. But as for me, that's not the word I'm looking for. I want my ear on the heartbeat of Jesus, on the chest of Jesus. I want to say, God, I can't have a word across the street. I can't have a word for somebody on the bypass, but the men and women that are walking through the doors of First Assembly of God. God, what word can I give them, God? I want a word that's going to burn in their heart all week that burns in the name of the Lord. And you don't understand if you've never done this. You don't understand the, 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 the weight and the effort. People, the old joke is the old preacher just works one day a week. But you don't understand the anticipation and the buildup of, of sharing the word of God. I'll tell you what, when my Friday, when I go into Fridays, I begin to change. You can ask Sister Sherry about it. Fridays, I'm starting to change and shift. And by Saturday, it's altogether different. I try to separate myself from certain things. Kids want to go all those years. Dad, let's go to watch a movie. I'm not going to go out and watch a movie on a Saturday night. I'm not because my mind, I don't want that. Even a children's movie, I don't want that in my mind because i got a sacred text burning. I've got something I know this is too much information for you. I hope Sherry's not in here. I do my very best to fight her off. Sherry, no romance on Saturday nights. I, it's hard. It's hard because I, I got it, you know, but I do. You know why? Because I'm trying to be spiritually minded. I know that's a lot of information for y'all, but I'm, this is my day to be honest. And so then on Sunday mornings, on Sunday mornings, I take a bath instead of a shower. Why? Because the Jew, the, 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 the priest bathed in a ritual bathing pool. And then I come here and I anoint my head with oil. And then I anoint my eye for the thing that I see. And I anoint my ear for the thing that I hear. And I anoint my right thumb. And I anoint my heart. And I reach down like the priest of old and I anoint my big toe. Because I'm following a precedence of valuing the sacredness of this moment, the hallowedness of this moment, that God's added this because you came to this house, you gave me your time, and every person that comes to give me your time, I'm going to give you everything that I got, every word, everything the Lord's put inside me, I'm going to hold nothing back. I'm going to give it to you because I know of the power of a word in your heart and life. I know what it can do for you. I know how your life can be sharpened and shaped. And I know the world will beat you down all week. So when you come in here on Sunday morning, I want to give you something that's going to stir you full of faith. So you walk out of the door saying, I'm ready. Put Goliath in my way. I got a sling in my hand and a rock in the other. And I'm ready for whatever the enemy throws my way. Glory to God. So I value it. And you may not understand the impact that it makes when you don't value the effort that we make. The closest thing that I could say to you would be like, if your kids are grown, live in the same community with you, you got a set appointment, and they're going to come over and eat. And you've been in the kitchen all day. And you've worked, and you've labored, and you've put the very best 
that you could put in front of them on the table and then they don't have time to come by. You can't help but feel the diminishing effect of that in your heart. Church family, I want to say I think we're better than that. If you're listening by podcast, sitting at home right now, wondering why you're not at church, I'll tell you, get up. Next week, be in church. Come on, somebody. Right? We're sending a message. These are here. They're here today. They value in it. The famine in David's time that resulted in the diminished harvest, the scarcity of grain was created by a former regime not valuing covenant, and it corresponds to the lack of God's fullest blessing upon our fellowship. And so, church family, I just believe our church family can do more and be more. And I better close, and I'm going to skip a couple of pages of notes in doing so. Do I have a, a musician here today? Brother Darrell, you back there with me? Thank you. I appreciate you so much. And so, but you know, for the sake of time, the, the, the course and the action was strong. Rizfa, you know, she's weeping. Their seven sons are die, dead. And David said, no, uh-uh, come on. It's time to move on. The harvest is too great. He said, let's go dig up Saul and Jonathan. Let's bury them properly. The harvest is too great. The opportunity is too great. The need is too present. So I asked myself as I closed, I said, what perhaps if you as an individual and we as a collective fellowship valued covenant and covenant responsibility with a greater certainty, I believe our church would receive a more abundant blessing. Can I say that today one more time? And that, if you're a visitor here today, that may be something for your church family. Listen very quickly, and very, if you would. If you as an individual and we as a collective fellowship valued covenant and covenant responsibility with greater certainty, I personally believe our church would receive a more abundant blessing of his presence, of harvest, and a celebration of joy. Do you believe that today? I do. I do. So here's my conclusion. I wrote down some thoughts. So what are you going to do with this message? You're going to get mad? You're going to take offense with the pastor? You say, you, you know, blow it off, shrug it off. You're going to keep going in half-hearted commitment? Is that who you're going to be? If, is, that, is that what's going to be on your headstone one day? Half-hearted adherent, first assembly. Hello? Is that what you want? Is that the legacy you're living and leaving for your family? Or do you want to be able to be like the song that we sung? I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Listen, church family, today's the church, the culture's changed a lot. We don't have near as many services as we used to and things of that nature. So we are going to miss some. Everybody is, right? I'll raise my hand. I've got... I've got graduations uh, in, in New Hampshire and uh, Alaska trip to see my son. I'm going to miss. Everybody's going to miss. I'm not, it's not about those, those big moments. It's about negligence. It's about saying, I've got everything else to do except for honoring a covenant that I made with the people of God. And I just think that God wants our church. I don't think he wants us to be down here. I just believe God wants us to be up here. I believe he wants us to be so faithful that other churches look at our church and say, wow, why can't we have what they have? Right? That's what I want. The reality is this. Here's the reality. You're either a part of the problem or you're a part of the solution. And that's for me as well. 
I'm either a part of trying to repair and to say that David was. God said, it's for this. It happened here. But you're in, you know, if you don't take control of this moment and do something, your, your motionless activity is going to keep the famine for a fourth year and a fifth year. David, you better do your part. And then notice what that 14th verse said. And the people did everything that David asked. And when they did, what, was the, what did that 14th verse? Put that up there if you would, Sister Lori, for just a moment. That's in 2 Samuel 21, the 14th verse. And it says, and God was entreated for the land. And you'll see it when it goes back up on the screen. So David did his part. The people did their part. They performed all the king commanded. And look at this. And after that, God was entreated for the land. If everybody does their part, doesn't that provoke God in the positive sense? I don't mean that in a negative way. But doesn't that invoke him to release greater showers of blessing upon his people? That's what I mean. I believe that, don't you? Do you believe that? Joe, you believe that? I do, don't you? I believe that with all my heart, that if we all do our part. I'm not here to ask you to commit to come to church. I'm asking you to commit to come together. I mean, you know, there's a difference. You can come to church every week and never connect into covenant fellowship with each other. Never allow a, 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 a responsibility to be placed upon you. By coming together, you know what we're doing? We're promising to bring our giftings, our encouragement. We're promising to stir up our fellow believer. We're, we're promising to hold up their Christian walk in prayer. Your commitment and your involvement matters. Your neglect of covenant and my neglect of covenant will obviously hinder the fullness of God's blessing. As painful as it is, you and I have got to put to death our former patterns of life, embrace the need for repentance because our church needs rain. Does that make sense today? This is a message today that I have wrestled out in my own personal prayer time. And I'm not somebody, and those of you that know me well, I'm not a negative person. This message is not negative. This message is about going to the next level. It's about seeing fields that used to be dry now ready to harvest because God sent rain. It's about relationships being formed from people that have been coming to the same building for years but don't even know each other. But all they know is just, hey, how are you doing? And that's it. Yeah, you're coming, but you're not coming together. It's about covenant. It's about saying, God, you're a covenant-keeping God. I want to be a covenant-keeping people. That's what it's about. So when David asked that question, what's wrong? If he asked that, he surely he did. He said, what's wrong? I think the response is, there was a lot. But David, you got to deal with it. It affects you, affects all of us. So I want to ask everybody to stand up today. And let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed in the Lord's presence for just a minute. It's a very sweet and precious. It's 12.09 today. I started preaching about 12.25. I haven't preached you an hour sermon. I can I think y'all know that. I don't want to, don't intend to. But I shortened it just a little bit because I believe the Lord's uh, used this. Our church family is a church family. I believe that God is destined for great things in this community. Do y'all believe that today? I just do. I just believe that God wants our church to just experience the presence of God so that people that aren't experiencing the presence of God will come 
and say, what they've got, I want. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to all of us here today? So this is not about judging your neighbor. This is not about me judging you or being critical of you. This is about us saying, God, we want more. But whatever we've got to do, our part, whatever role I've got to play, then let me play it. Whatever it is, whatever is my job, whatever is my role, then I want to play that. If being more faithful to the house of God is a part of it, then I want that. Well, can I say it one more time? Because i got a very poor amen. If being more faithful to the house of God is a part of it, then I want that. Y'all believe that? I want that. I love, I'm like David, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. This is far better. What you experience here is far better. I don't care who the televangelist is. You can't experience in your living room with a remote control what you can experience right here in this house. Can't do it. I know, don't give me the excuse. Oh, man, I Stephen Furtick, T.D. Jakes, oh, my goodness, Charles Stanley. I don't care. They're good for their congregations. It don't get any better than just being right here. In the, this is his house for you. We're his people. We're covening together. Let's pray together. I'm going to just leave this today. This is not about me smiting, hurting, harming. This is about, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it with you. You're going to take it and pray. You're either going to shrug it off. You're either going to shrug it. I'm not even going to ask and put a demand on this great altar service response. You know why I'm not going to do that? Because if I ask you to the altar, most of the time it will be the faithful few that will come. The rest of the time, I can say, okay, well, I want to ask everybody to come, and then most will come, some out of obligation because they don't want to be left alone standing there when everybody else has moved, right? But it's not about coming to the altar here today. It's about elevating our appreciation for the people that we're in covenant with. And that's going to be lived out and measured out every day of the week and on opportunities that God, obviously you valued it at some level or you wouldn't be here today. Obviously, I'm not preaching in the sense of correction to people that are faithful. Obviously, this message is not going to be just listened to by this people group that are here today, but this message is going to go. It's going to be heard by others that are at home today when they ought to be here. Come on, somebody. Amen? So, Father, today... I do want to pray. Let's pray. Let's search ourselves right now. What's wrong with our church? That's a fair question. Is it me? Is it you? Is it us? Ask the Lord. If there's something wrong with you physically, you go to the doctor and say, I'm just not quite feeling right. What's wrong with me? So you're not meaning, maybe not nothing bad, nothing terrible wrong, just not reaching your fullest potential. And I think that's where we're at. We're just not reaching our fullest potential. So God, help us. Help us. Help me to do my part. Whatever part that I play, and I pray you pray this on your own right now. God, whatever you want of me, whatever it is, if there's another level of participation in the fellowship that you're asking of me, God, then let me be willing to give it. Let me be willing to give it. Whatever it is, God, if it's more faithful attendance, if it's getting in a life group, if it's attending a Sunday school class, if it's greeting in the foyer, God, if it's going out of the way to make sure I go across the church during the meet and greet but so that I can meet other people, whatever it is, if it's praying for the service on Sunday, a Saturday night, 
God, if it's remembering that I want to undergird the church in prayer, if whatever it is, Lord, I can't go over the whole list, the, all the components, all the parts, the moving parts, the stationary parts. Father, I just know your word says that the church will grow compacted by every part. When every part plays and fulfills, Father, your, your intention, then God, then our church, nothing is impossible to us as a fellowship. And I want to pray not only for each other right now. Would you take a moment and would you pray for one for the other right now? And I'm not just talking about pray for their church commitment. I'm just going to say take a moment and pray for somebody in this church right now. Whether it's somebody beside you whose hands you take or somebody the Lord puts in your mind right now or, or someone that you just barely know. Whatever it is, take a moment of time and say, God, I want to pray for one another. I want to pray for, Father, my family, my fellowship, the men and women. I want to pray that you're working in their lives, that you're blessing them, you're blessing their family, their children, God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, God, I pray for them today. Lord, according to the word of God, I pray that God, for, the word of God says I'm to consider one another. I consider my brothers and sisters. I consider those who are here, and I consider who's not here. And lastly today, who will pray this closing prayer with me right now? As I'm going to close, because I'm going to let you out of here today upon this word. And you're going to process all these in your heart and your mind. I want to pray today, Father. For the people who aren't here. Who will pray that with me right now? And I'm not going to say that critically. But I'm going to say, God, let them, awaken them, those who are not here, to the value and the virtue of covenant. Let them see the need in their own life. Let them see the need for greater fellowship and greater connection. That maybe their inactivity in our fellowship is causing a famine on the whole. That maybe they're not realizing that when they don't do their part, that the body as a whole is limited. And we don't receive the fullest measure of God's glory that we could receive. So God, I pray, Lord, over the next several weeks, let us begin to see an awakening. Come on, who will pray that with me right now? God, begin to, Father God, let an awakening begin. And let each one of us be willing to pick up the phone and call somebody. Every one of us knows somebody that used to be a part of our church or used to be active or they come so irregularly that they are just barely connected, just barely. They're on the roll, but that's about all that they are. God, we want to see that person, Father, grafted fully into the life stream of this fellowship, doing and being all that God's called them to be. God, that's our prayer today. And so, Father, I bless the people that have come to hear me preach today. My heart was prepared I shared the truth of the Word of God. I believe, Father, that my ear was upon the bosom of Jesus, and I heard his heartbeat for this, this fellowship today. And I pray our church family, will, will, Father, will take this Word, and they'll process it and receive it. Jace prayed that they would receive the Word. I pray they'll receive it, God, and then it'll be lived out, Father, in every area of their life. Well, we look forward to tonight, 5 p.m., we thank you for an opportunity to be in your house tonight. Father, for worship, for the word, bless Jojo to minister the word with power and anointing and bless our time in the altar, God. We'll look forward for that time together tonight. In Jesus' name and all God's children said, come on somebody, amen.